or, or those of you that haven't been worshipping with us for some time and, and, and are not up to speed with what we're doing, we're going through the Gospel of John. That's what we do as a, as a church. Generally speaking, we will take a book of the Bible and we will just go through it. Not verse by verse, but chapter by chapter, section by section, we go through uh, God's word. And there's real advantage of doing that. It's real advantage. One of the advantages is it stops me or it stops the preacher just from choosing the subjects they like lots of. Uh, and, and possibly you've been in a church where that's happened. Uh, and the preacher's always been preaching about the thing that he's been excited by. And, and you've had that week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out. And, well, it's, it's great for the first few, but then it's like eating the same food all the time. We need a balanced diet. And so by going through God's word consecutively like we do, we get a balanced diet and we praise God for that. We've been going through the Gospel of John and we're in this section of chapter 17 now in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John tells about Jesus' life. That's what it's all about. But it tells it in a very different way to Matthew, Mark, Luke and Luke. They're very similar. John's different. And what a big emphasis that John has is so that we can believe, so that we can come to know Jesus as God's son for ourselves. And so there's a lot of Jesus' teaching. And a big section of this, chapters 13 uh, through to the end of 16, is devoted to Jesus' special conversation to his disciples. A special sermon, if you like. And so we are blessed by having this special sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples just before he's going to leave them. A really important sermon. It's, it's setting the disciples up for when Jesus is not there. And as Jesus is not with us now, that sermon is really helpful for us because it's just right for what we need. But then it goes on to chapter 17. And chapter 17 is Jesus has finished his sermon. And then what he does, he prays over that sermon. He prays into the life of his disciples. And this chapter 17 breaks into three sections. The first section, Jesus prays for himself. He prays that he will be glorified, not because he's proud and selfish and got a big ego, but he prays that he'll be glorified so that God the Father is glorified. And then he moves on to the middle section, which goes from verse 6 through to where we started today in verse 20. And that section, Jesus is praying particularly for his 11 disciples. And yes, there's application for us. But where it gets really amazing and extremely special is in this last section, from verse 20 to 26, when Jesus prays for you. This is just mind-blowing to me. 2,000 years ago, anyone who is a believer, anyone here who's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus prayed for you. Now that means this prayer isn't for everyone. It's for believers. It's for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thought that to, to understand this sermon, uh, to get a better idea of this sermon... What we uh, needed to do was just understand two main themes. And, and, and two of those themes are the, the Trinity and the way of salvation. 
the Trinity and the way of salvation. And understanding the Trinity or, or getting a, a handle, we never totally understand the Trinity, but getting some idea of the Trinity and an idea of the way of understanding helps us when Jesus comes to his three main requests for us. They're down there as unity, love, and glory. Last week we looked particularly at unity. And we saw, I'll just quickly recap this and the slides will help us. We saw that unity was for all believers. No one has an excuse. Every Christian has to be united. And unity is like the Trinity. There's an example of God the Father, God the Son. And just as that works together, so the church, the body, the family of believers should be in the same way. There's unity in God. We are united in God. Our unity is a witness God wants our unity, our love for one another, to, to shine out into the darkness. And then we saw that there's quite a few things that can rob a church of unity. Sin. If everyone is backbiting, if everyone's gossiping, will there be unity? No, there won't. It will fall apart. And then... Lack of forgiveness. If someone's offended you and you don't forgive them, the unity breaks down. Or sometimes it's prioritizing secondary issues, things that are not of gospel importance. They may be in the Bible, they may be there, or might, might not even be there. But secondary issues, what sort of clothes you wear on Sunday. Some churches will legislate that you have to wear certain clothes on Sunday, and that becomes more important than the gospel message. The Pharisees in the, in the New Testament did that, didn't they? They, they prioritised their own rules over the gospel. Racism. Ageism. Social and economic snobbery. Only wanting rich people and rich people being uh, despised by the poor people because they say they don't understand them. Or intellectual or anti-intellectual elitism. Or, or maybe here we have the professors and they sit in their own little corner because they're the really, really, really intelligent ones. And then it goes all the way around to those that haven't been to high school. And that's not as it should be. We, we shouldn't separate. We're all together. And so that was unity. And, and, and today we're going to, to move on. But before we move on, when I was preparing for this, I realized that, that there's something really remarkable going on in this passage. And, and really remarkable with, with the actual particular part that we're looking at. I almost went to the point of saying that it's weird. That that's the wrong word to use. Strange, remarkable. But what is going to be happening this morning, I'm going to be talking from God's word about a particular prayer request of Jesus. And as I am preaching on this prayer request, God is answering Jesus' prayer. Now, does that sound weird? It messes with my head, but it's mind-blowing. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was praying this prayer, Jesus was praying that the people, us, would come to know God's love. And my sermon is about that 
subject, God's love. And so as I preach about God's love, Jesus' prayer is being answered. I think that's awesome. I think it's totally petrifying as well. The, the responsibility here. But this is it. This is what Jesus prayed for. And this is a subject which we'll be uh, preaching on. The, the, the next request, in some ways, is, is, is remarkable in that Jesus is not asking that we should have something new. So often when we pray, we ask for something new, don't we? Or we ask for something that we need or something that we want. Jesus is asking that they would know something that is already established. Jesus is praying that something would be made known. And for the last 2,000 years, this prayer has been, been answered when people come to know and people grow in this. Now, over this last little while, and even today, I've, I've put a lot of emphasis on the fact that this prayer of Jesus is for the believers. We, we see that in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, that's the disciples, the 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So there's an emphasis that this prayer of Jesus is for believers. But this request that Jesus is making now, he expands it out. And Jesus wants not just believers, Christians, to know this. But Jesus is also praying that the world, or in the context of what this means, non-believers would know this. So I want you to go back in your minds. The children's talk. The children's talk. Did you ever have that argument with your parents? Or maybe you've had that argument with your, your spouse? Or maybe you've had that argument with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Love you. Love you too. Love you more. Love you the most. No, you don't. I love you more because I'm the biggest. That's my line. And the child comes back I love you more because there's more of you to love well Jesus is wanting to declare God's love to us Jesus wants us to understand God's love in a deeper sense and, and Jesus request is his disciples his believers and the whole world comes to know how much God loves his believers. Now, now this should not be a surprise to us at all. Because as we've been going through this book of, of John, we've, we've seen that love is an important theme to him. God's love is an important theme to him. And particularly in this last series of chapters from 13 to 16. So I just want us to, to, to get an idea of what's going on here in the last few chapters so it will really help us to understand what, is, what Jesus is praying for here. So who loves who? That's our first heading for this morning. Who loves who? And you should have a table here which will just help us uh, through this. Jesus loves the Father. 
Jesus loves God the Father. And, and, and the references are there. We're not going to open them all up. There's a few key ones that I will uh, quote. But we can see there in uh, chapter 14, verse 31, chapter 15, verse 9, and chapter 15, verse 10, that Jesus loves the Father. Jesus, in that 15 uh, verses 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus loves the Father. But also in that verse that I just read, we see that Jesus has loved us, the believers. We see that in chapter 13, verse 34. We see that in chapter 14, verse 21, and 17, and verse 9. We, we read there that Jesus loves his disciples. Jesus loves us as believers. And then over this passage too, the, these chapters, we, we see that God the Father loves the Son. God the Father loves the Son. Uh, chapter 15, verse 9. I, I read it, quoted it earlier, didn't it? As the Father has loved me. Jesus was aware that the Father loved him. The Father loves Jesus. And then also we see and read in, in chapter 14 and 23 that the Father loves believers. The Father loves his children. Jesus answered him in chapter 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him. Now when it comes to believers in this passage, us, it doesn't actually state the believer loves the Son, or the believer loves the Father. What we see here is that by the actions of the believer, they love God the Father and God the Son. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. Believers are those who keep God's commandments, and they keep God's commandments out of love. And so by reference, we can see this. Christians love God the Father. Christians, believers, love the Lord Jesus Christ. But also Christians should love each other. We've seen that, haven't we? And in loving each other, we show our love to God the Father. And so this is the, the complete situation here, there with that. So how do you know if you love God? How do you know if your child loves you? How do you know if your boyfriend or girlfriend love you? How do you know if your husband or wife loves you? Well, you'll be listening out for that, that, that I love you, won't you? you? You'll want to hear it. But just as important as hearing it is seeing it. And, and for, for a little child, they'll come running up to their mummy and their daddy and they'll say, I love you. And then what will they do? They will give their mum and dad a hug, won't they? 
They'll want to be close to them. The, the daughter or the, the, the son will want to be like the mum or the dad because they love them. And then they do that by wanting to do the things that they, 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 they like. And, and as they grow older, children will realize that by being obedient to their parents, they're showing love to them. It gets a bit messed up as we get older. Sometimes a gentleman will tell a lady that he loves her, not because he loves them, but because he loves himself. And he wants to love himself with them. And that's dangerous. And sometimes the affection that's been shown is not out of love, it's out of lust. So how do we get past love and lust and, and, and all that? Because there's a deeper action. God tells us that a husband's role is to love the wife like Christ loved the church. The action is being willing to be self-sacrificial. How do you know if you love someone? You'll be willing to be self-sacrificial. You'll die for them. You will want to do what pleases them. And you can bring it right to this. How do we know we love God? It's not just by saying, God, I love you. But it's by showing that you love God by obeying him. By keeping his commandments. Love is not just what you feel. Love is what you do. Can you imagine if God's love was just a feeling for God? It would actually mean that there would be no salvation. Because salvation takes action. And action is born out of God's love. So we've seen here a little bit of who loves who. And we've understood this little sense that love is not more than just saying something. There is action here. And we see God and the Father and us and the actions that we need to demonstrate our love. But the second question I want to ask of this passage as we go on, the second heading is, how much does God love the believer? I don't think we would go to God and say to God, I love you, and he says to you, love you too, and you go, I love you more. I don't think that's going to work very well, is it? So the question isn't who loves who more. God has won that already. We know that. How much more does God love us? That's what I want us to explore. How much greater is God's love for the believer? How do we get a handle? How do we get a grip on how much God loves you as a Christian? And this should be exciting you. How much is it? Girls and boys, as they fall in love, you want to to know if that person loves you, don't you? And as you see those signs, you get excited. And and we're in the ultimate relationship here with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator. And we should be getting excited about learning about how much God loves us. And often when we think about God's love, we immediately think to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He did what? He gave his only son whoever, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We see here, it wasn't just God on a big fluffy cloud thinking lovely thoughts about us. This is God doing action. And the action is giving his son. 
giving his son so that we, sinful people, could be brought into his family and inherit eternal life. Now that is a huge expression of love, isn't it? Some of you, I I made a mistake yesterday or, 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 or finished part of my education. For the first time in my life, and I have to confess this, I watched a Nollywood movie. I now have a new understanding of you Africans. Or Nigerians, should I say. And it was all about love. This particular one. I think they're all about that. I don't know. But I'm not going to find out, I can assure you. It was enough. But what was happening was this lady was trying to gauge whether this gentleman was loving her. And the gentleman was trying to show his love to her by doing what? Giving stuff. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps you've got a list, the list of how much someone loves you. And, and, and somewhere on there, there's an iPhone. And, and the greater spec the iPhone, the greater the love. The heavier the gold chain, the more the love. The more expensive the restaurant, the more the love. And we can be tempted to do this to God and think, the gift here is the ultimate gift, it's his son. This is a huge expression of his love. But friends, there is more. There is more to God's love than this. And this is just mind-blowing. You see, greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friend. You see, God gave his son, and Jesus gives up his life. Jesus is telling his disciples what the pinnacle of human love is. The pinnacle of human love is that you give up your life for somebody else. That's the, that's the pinnacle of human life. And, and throughout history, there have been individuals who have given up their lives for some other, someone else. There have been heroic acts on the battlefield. One heroic act wasn't in a battlefield. It was in a science lab. Uh, just in the middle or towards the end of the Second World War, they were developing the nuclear bomb. And a young nuclear scientist... Lewis Stollen was carrying out an experiment. And what he had was two hemispheres of uranium. And he's bringing them together to work out where the critical mass is. Now, if any of you know anything about that, that's not a clever thing to do. That, that is very, very dangerous. But he needed to work it out so he could make an atomic bomb or work out the equation for making an atomic bomb there. And he had a screwdriver. And his screwdriver was just keeping these two things apart. And when he was doing this, he got a bit sort of excited, and the screwdriver slipped, and these two things got closer together, and there was a blue flash. And there were seven other people in this laboratory with him. And in a split, split second, he had the choice. He could duck down behind the table and potentially save himself. But he didn't do that. He separated the two hemispheres, and averted his friends getting radiated. Nine days later, he died of radiation poison or sickness. All seven other people in the room lived without harm to tell the tale. He laid down his life for his friends. 
And now that is a huge expression of God of, 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 of love. But it doesn't do God's love to the believer justice. We've got to ramp it up because giving your life for your friends, giving your life for your country, giving your life for your colleagues, we do that as humans. But but what Jesus did is is, is told to us in in Romans chapter 5. You see, what was our relationship to God when he showed his love to us? Romans 5 verse 6. For while we were still weak, ungodly. Going on to verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see, it's human to give up your life for somebody, normally who you love or you know. But what is godly love? It's giving your life for someone who is weak, ungodly, a sinner, and an enemy. God's love for his children was to give his own son. God's love for you as a sinner was before you even thought about repenting was to give his son and his son to give his life for you. Now That's a huge expression of love, isn't it? That's amazing love. Why does a a child love his parents? Because there's a bond and there's a love. But a child wouldn't come running to an enemy and love them. If, If someone despises you, if someone hurts you, if someone robs you, if someone committed adultery against you, if someone wrecked your family, if someone continually, continually was hurting you, would you give your life for them? No. But that's what Jesus did. And and I use the word adultery purposefully because that, that, that makes us feel sick and ill inside, but that's effectively what sin is like. God made us. God owns us. We are his. And then when we go our path of sin and walk our way, it's like being an adulterous in an adulterous relationship and doing your own thing and going your own way. And even though we were like that, Christ died for the ungodly. That is his love. And you see, this is God's love for the believer, but it doesn't do it justice. There's more. And you're thinking, how can there be more than this? But there is more. This helps us to get a measure of what God's love is. But through this passage, we've had these wow moments, haven't we? And if you haven't been with us, I want to share these wow moments. The first wow moment is this. Jesus prayed for us. We just thought that's incredible, didn't we? 2,000 years ago, if you're a believer here this morning, Jesus prayed for you. And the only way I can respond to that myself is, wow, Jesus prayed for me. Jesus, God's son, prayed for me. 
And then last week, the, the, the wow thing that we saw was this, was we are in God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in God. We, we're not part of the Godhead, but we're brought into the family of God. What an incredible thing. What an amazing thing. But then we've got our third wow moment that just shows us really what God's love is all about. Verse 23. Jesus says to God the Father, you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And now let, let, we've, got to go, we've got to go slowly here. We were talking a few weeks about, about people going and seeing a scenery and taking selfies and jumping back on the tour bus and leaving. I, I want you to stand and look at this and, and take on the magnitude of what's happening. You sent me. God the Father is being spoken to by Jesus the Son. And Jesus is saying to God, you sent me. And he's saying to God, you love them. Okay? God the Father loves you as a believer. Now, that, that's incredible. Yeah? But let's blow our minds with this. Even as you loved me. God the Father loves God the Son. And God the Son is saying that God the Father loves us like he loves himself. Does that not make you think, I can't have heard that right? When I read that, I thought, no, that can't be right. Quickly carried on. Verse 26, the last part of it. I will continue to make it known. This is Jesus. Jesus is saying that he's got a job to do. He's going to continue to make it known that the love which you have loved them may be in them and I in them. This is absolute. This, this is the truth. God the Father loves you as a believer, loves me as a believer, as he loves Jesus. This is just breathtaking. It's, it's just uh, incredible. And if it weren't written in the Bible, and someone said that to me, I'd say, no, that can't be right. It sounds too good, doesn't it? But it's here. And it's not a claim it's a statement made by Jesus. And who should know? Jesus should know. And you see, the reality is, you will never understand how much God loves you until you understand how much God loves Jesus. You never understand how much God loves you until you understand how much God loved Jesus. Jesus, how can we understand how much God loved Jesus? We get, we get an idea of how much God loves us. In, in, he sent his only begotten son. We, we, we get an idea of he paid the price for our sins. But how do we get an idea of how much God loves Jesus? Well, the passage gives us this. It opens it up. And our next heading is this. When did you fall in love? When did you fall in love? That's a big question that the romantics ask 
the newly engaged people. Oh, we just got engaged. Oh, that's exciting. When did you fall in love? It, when, when you're married and, and you have a, an anniversary, 10-year anniversary, 15-year anniversary, whatever it is, people will then come up to you and say, oh, that's lovely. How long have we married? 10 years, 20 years. Oh, that's amazing. When did you two fall in love? And, and, and you go back to, to, to the time and you tell that story and hopefully it's wonderful and romantic and everyone goes, oh. It's a big question. It's an important question. It goes back to that argument, doesn't it? That we had with the children's talk. Love you. Love you lots. Love you more. Love you the most. You don't love me as much as I love you because I am. What's, what's going on here? I, I want us to explore in the light of the Father's love to the Son what argument Jesus uses to show the greatness of God's love. And it's this. When did God the Father start loving God the Son? We asked the children that, didn't we? It was Bim Bim that said, she said, didn't she? Before time began. Well, Jesus says it here in verse 21. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is, this is the stunning truth. This is the magnitude of God's love for the Son. That the magnitude of God's love for the Son brings us back to the attributes of God. God is eternal. God is everlasting. God doesn't have a beginning or an end. And in Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth or the world around it, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God the Father loved God the Son from everlasting to everlasting. And this truth is the truth in the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son have always been. And Jesus has always been loved by the Father. We, we must get in our minds that Jesus didn't come about when he came to this world. Jesus was here before this world. Jesus was here before he was born of a virgin. Jesus was here before the beginning. The beginning of John starts and the word was with God and the word was God. And it tells us there at the very, very beginning when the world was created, Jesus was there. But we can go back further and we can realize that Jesus and God the Father were co-eternal together. And Jesus is saying, because you love me, before the foundation of the world. So the reality is, when did God the Father start loving God the Son is a trick question. It's a silly question because God never had a beginning. And as the Trinity has always been because they are God, God the Father has always loved God the Son. So I'm going to dare to ask the next question. When did God start loving his people? You as a believer sat here this morning. You as a believer online. When did God start loving you? Well, Jesus says in this prayer that the love, verse 26, that the love which you've given, you've loved me 
may be in them. Verse 21, because you love me before the foundation of the world. God's love for Jesus is the love he has for us. And God's love for Jesus was from before the foundation of the world. If you haven't felt love before as a believer, you should feel love now. Because this love that God has for you is an eternal love. The greatness of God's love for us is like his love for Jesus. Not just a heavenly father's love for his son, but an everlasting, eternal love. And maybe you are thinking, how could God always love me? Maybe you're thinking to the things that you did last night. Maybe you're thinking about the stuff that's in your mind and that sin that besets you. Maybe you're thinking of your past Christian before you became a believer and your your sinful life and the stuff that you did then. Maybe you're saying to yourself, how could God love me when I did this, when I did that, when I am like that? Surely my past life and my past sin made him angry. And yes, it does. But this is it. God's love is greater than his anger to his people. Isaiah 54 verse 8. In an overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. There was a time when you were living and God hid his face from you. You were not a believer. You didn't have a relationship with God. God was hiding his face from you. And was he hiding his face out of an eternal anger? No, he was hiding his face because he had an everlasting love and with compassion on you. And he is your redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent to redeem God's people from their sins. And so even though you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God's love, although anger is what you deserve and wrath is what you deserve, because he has an everlasting love, he hid his face from you till the moment you came to believe. Because he has compassion on you. Because he is a redeemer. We have been redeemed because of his love. We have been redeemed not just because of his love, but because of his everlasting love. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Paul is praying. Paul is bringing this statement together. And in verse 4 he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is God's love. This is God's love for you as a believer. God loved you before time began. And God planned to save you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And why did he do it? Because he loved you. And why did he love you? I don't know, but he loved you. Why did he love me? I don't know, but he loved me. And he loved me with an everlasting love. Why did I fall in love with Rachel? One day I'll tell you, but there's a very good reason. But there's no good reason for God to love me. And there's no good reason for God to love you. But before anything, before time began, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were talking together and they bestowed their love upon you. 
and a manifestation, a manifestation of that love, that everlasting love, that eternal love was sending his son. And we think the sending the son was a big deal. That's a big action for sure, but it was motivated by that love that is bigger than all loves, an everlasting eternal love from God himself. The word of the psalmist may help us to get it. Psalm 103, which we read at the beginning. And if you weren't there, you missed it. And please get there on time because you're blessed to be there through the whole of the service. And you'd have heard this. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and to his righteousness, to children's children. God's steadfast love is everlasting. And so we've looked at the question, haven't we? Who loves who? And we looked at the second question, how much does God love the believer? And we've developed that further by looking at when did you fall in love? And we realize that God's love for us is an eternal love. And so lastly, I just want to say, God's love. So what now? What does God's love mean to you? What, what, what should it mean for you? And we realize this prayer has got two parts to it, hasn't it? Normally, in this prayer here, is only for believers. But this prayer, this part of the prayer, this request is for non-believers. And so if you are sat here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know that God has, has saved you from your sins through the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus prayed that the world would know God's love. And Jesus' prayer here for you is that you would come to know God's love And his prayer is so that he would lead you to salvation. So that you would see that you are a wretched sinner. That you would realize that you deserve the wrath of God. And at this moment in time, God is hiding his face from you. So he doesn't bust out his anger upon you and consume you. But if you die unrepentant in your sins, your eternity will be eternity under God's perfect and holy wrath. Sometimes we read of how people are punished in this world. And it's gruesome. And it's painful. But it's not a perfect punishment. God's eternal punishment will be perfect. And that's a frightening thought. And Jesus' prayer was so that those of you here this morning who do not know that love for yourself have opportunity to hear it and respond to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So what? So that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. And the verse continues. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior now, you need to listen to this because it says, but whoever does not believe 
is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only Son of God. Now is a time of repentance. Now, right now, you can call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Right now, if you come and ask for forgiveness, you can know forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what his word says. You might not have that chance tomorrow or ever again in your life. Now is the time to respond. But Jesus prayed this for believers. He prayed it for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed it so that we would know salvation for ourselves. But what does this make you want to do? It should make you want to worship him. It should make you want to praise him. And how do we show God worship and praise in his ultimate sense? Well, sometimes we get sucked into thinking that praise and worship needs a lot of noise, a lot of music, a lot of movement. Perfect worship to God is in obedience. And it brings us right back to last week. Unity. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will love each other. That's where unity is. You see, God's love that Jesus is speaking of here, he's wanting his disciples to be immersed in it. He's wanting his disciples to be, as Apostle Paul said, to be rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3, 17. And he says he wants them to be rooted and grounded in love that they may have strength to comprehend with all the strength what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Jesus' prayer for you back then was that you would know this love so that you would be filled with the fullness of God. God's love is the fuel for salvation, if you like. God's love is the fuel for worship. God's love is the fuel for obedience. Maybe you're struggling with some sin that just keeps getting in your way. Look at the love of God. Focus on the love of God. It'll keep you from it. Maybe you're, you're, you're finding it difficult to worship. Look at the love of God. Maybe you're thinking, how can I be set? Look at the love of God. Friends, keep looking at the love of God. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed. And the answer to that prayer in a very small part is what you've just heard now. What are you going to do with the prayer of Jesus that's just been answered in your midst now? I just want to give you a few moments to think and ponder on on what you've heard and ask the Lord in your own quiet hearts to make it real to you. Almighty God is... The Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray for the brothers and sisters here at LPC. May they be rooted and grounded in love. May they have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And may they be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. Our closing hymn has the chorus, He will hold me fast.